0: Words are about to be spoken here on The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy, presented to you exclusively by Podcast Heat and AdWordsShows.com. I, of course, am John Alba, joined as I am every single week by the broken one, the woken one, the spoken (laughs) one himself, (laughs) Surge.
1: What's up, up, brother? What's going on, man? Uh, A fun weekend. Uh, You you made the little... uh trek down to Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And uh, we got to hang out at WrestleCade. That was a lot of fun, man.
0: The best weekend. Literally the best week. I had the best time. I could not have asked for a better time at WrestleCade. Tracy Myers, Brian Hawks, uh, they they did it big. George South is a big yeah. part of the organize, organization of, of WrestleCade, I know. It was so awesome, man. And it was so incredible to see all the fans down there in Hardy Country, man. You're, you're, you're a big deal down there. Who would have thought? uh it it is and i'm
1: just really proud of how wrestlecade has grown you know i was the guy that was on the first wrestlecade and i ended up being the first wrestlecade champion and held that title for three or four years the first few wrestlecades and uh i'm very proud of where it is right now it really has become it has become an event that is a a must-do event if you're a wrestling fan especially if you're uh, anywhere on the east coast or the eastern side of the united states
0: I want to spend a little time today talking about WrestleK before we get into our topic, which is about the time that Jeff Hardy made his WWE return in 2006. But before we do, Matt, as we record this, Spotify released its Spotify wrapped today. And Apple released its Apple replay today. And I've been getting tons of tweets saying that the extreme life of Matt Hardy was the number one podcast listened to for a lot of fans out there. How cool is that?
1: That's very cool. It's almost like the extreme life of Matt Hardy's getting half-ass
0: over. Half-ass over. And so much so, we're going to do another giveaway here, guys. If you tweet us a picture, or if you send us a DM, screenshot, it's got to be a screenshot, mm-hmm. showing proof that the extreme life of Matt Hardy was in your top five listened to podcasts yep. on Spotify, Raptor, apple replay this year matt and i are going to do another video giveaway where we'll thank you personally for supporting the extreme life of matt hardy it's just surreal with how many podcasts there are out there matt to think that people would make that effort every single week to put us in their top five means a lot
1: it's great it's extremely flattering and uh thank you all so much uh without you guys there would be no us i know that for sure so uh we're we're a grassroots movement uh i've never done podcasts before this and uh john's been great at like helping me learn and and we keep moving forward and evolving and whatnot and people seem to really be enjoying what we're doing so i'm very happy with our content and please keep tuning in guys
0: are you finding more and more fans coming up to you at these meet and greets and shows talking to you about it yes
1: definitely you can you can definitely see the growth of uh of matt hardy pod after you know almost a year now
0: well we had so many great podcast moments this past weekend at WrestleCade. First off, what oh, yeah. a rib. What a rib. You were put next to the APA for your signing. Hey, I'm alright with that, man. That's a good <laughs> rib. That's one of those oh, it was amazing. Movies. It was amazing. Yeah. We got to talk to John a little bit about it, and he told me, because I, I was talking to him, he said he was just sure. doing signings and meet and greets, and he said people would come up to him and say, well, hell, And he had no idea what they were talking about at first. And then someone connected it for him. And he's like, oh, okay. Matt Hardy's gimmick is doing that. How great was it connecting with the APA again after so much time?
1: I I mean, it's always great running into those guys. We exchanged a couple tweets on Twitter and whatnot, a little uh, uh, niceties. But, yeah, it's always great seeing them. Ron is legitimately one of the funniest guys you'll ever meet because he has such a unique and different delivery in the way he – tell stories and jokes and i've just you know we shared so many great moments with those guys it was so
0: great to interact with them there at wrestlecade total legend is ron simmons in every capacity Uh, just when he tells you something and is so stone-faced telling it to you and and yet he's uh, the story you told about can you share that story real quick the one about him going to the ring with all his bling because that's that is a podcast story if i've ever heard one
1: yeah, to the people who uh, are old school WWE followers and fans, they, they know about the old tent shows that WWE used to run. We would do stuff uh, up on the East Coast area, all around Massachusetts, right? And uh, there were tent towns where right? there'd be eight or 900 people there. A lot of times we'd do two shows a day. We'd do double shots on Saturday and Sunday. So uh, we were there and we were having a match and it was a, a triple threat. It was myself and Jeff, the Hardy Boys versus E&C, Edge and Christian versus the APA. And uh, Terry Taylor was the producer for this match. He was the agent on the road and and... I don't think John or Ron were too high on Terry Taylor at that time. And he had suggested that the APA, they go out first. And then the Hardy's Edge and Christian, they have like a a good little match to end it in like five minutes or so. And I remember once they learned what we were doing in these matches and we're doing it every single night, you know, like four nights back to back, two double shots. uh, Ron said, you know, I was thinking, Terry, he said, these kids are really great in the ring together. I think we should just let them do about 20 together. Let's get me and John out in about 90 seconds. And uh and he ended up kind of like giving in to what they wanted to do, whatever. And Ron Simmons, he came walking out the first time. They they may have came last, maybe myself and Jeff and Edge and Christian. We were uh, we were out the first two teams, and they came out last. Ron still had his jewelry on, he had a big ass thick necklace, he had bracelets on, didn't have his wrist tape. Like he didn't give a shit. He I don't even think he's wearing knee pads. He came to the ring like with his tights on with the minimal amount of effort, and then 90 seconds later they were out of there. And the last thing I heard is they're leaving the rings like. We'll see you in the next town, Hard. That's always <laughs> what Ron Simmons. Ron Simmons always called myself a Jeff. What's up, Hard? What's up, Hard?
0: <laughs> what a legend. Uh, genuinely. What a legend. So cool. Man, uh, it was so great. All the fans that were there. And of course, two big events. First, your match against Jeff Jarrett. It was a win for Matt Hardy yeah. and Queen Rebecca. Holy moly. <laughs> What an ovation you got, man. A road warrior pop for Queen Rebecca making the save for you. What did you think of the match against Jeff?
1: I was very happy with it, and it was nice to finally get that revenge after seven years. It was something I feel like needed to be done uh, in my career to kind of tile this off and put a bow on it so it's complete, so there's closure. So very happy with the match, and, and I got to tell you, and you know this as well, John, from being there, both of – uh both of our wives, they were wild cards. I really had no idea what was going to happen whenever they interacted. You know, they they had this huge rivalry back in the day, and uh, I had no idea what was going to happen, but we made it through okay because no one got arrested, no one went to jail. So it was a successful night, and it was very nice to get a win after seven years of, uh, of wanting to get my revenge on Jeff
0: Jarrett. It was really, it was really a, a career honor for me to get to call that match, Matt. It was so... Awesome being on that team with Kevin Gill and Veda Scott uh, getting to call you versus Jeff Jarrett. It was an all-out brawl. (sighs) Jeff is so good at getting heat, man. He walks out there and fans just hate him. He's Uh so good at it. And I mean that in the most complimentary way possible. He's he's really just got that old-school memphis style i don't care if you like me or not swagger it's really impressive to see is that easy to feed off of in the ring
1: definitely definitely i mean that's as a if you're a baby face if you're positioned as the good guy or the hero in the match i mean that is uh that makes your job so much easier so yeah that is that is great when you have someone that comes out and gets heat and gets booed
0: people went nuts for you coming out to live for the moment
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, th- that's the song I have been using at WrestleCade. So I guess that's kind of my WrestleCade deal. I'm the first version there. Be one. Um, and another thing I was going to say about the match, which I thought was really cool, was I loved your call on it. Uh, I had a friend who had my back uh, on this evening, where I didn't the first time when I dropped the WrestleCade title to Jeff Jarrett. Uh, I loved it when you said, that's Marty Garner. First name Sham, last name Payne.
0: It ended in a painful way for Champagne. He got a vicious guitar shot to the head, but yes. this was like this was like the weekend of Champagne, man. He had himself a big time weekend at WrestleCade because not only did he have his run-in in your match with Jeff Jarrett, sure. He also stole the show at our Omega panel by doing the Champagne spiel and a freestyle afterwards. The Omega panel, man. What a special event that was. How cool was it for you to walk down memory lane and get to reunite with your pals? Uh,
1: it was great, man. Just uh, sitting there and, and, and talking about the the old days, you know, the days of way back was uh, so much fun. And just, it really was. We were guys who weren't making a ton of money, but we were all following our dreams and aspirations. and And we had these, you know, the... We we're massively motivated to make something of ourselves and even to make something of the promotion that we all work so hard together for the greater good and Omega. And uh, just, just hearing everyone's stories and, and reliving all the brotherhood and just, we were like a family and in wrestling, there's a lot of times the environments are like that when you work with the guys so close, especially if it's uh, not political and, and everybody's enjoying what they're doing. Those are some of your best times ever. And also some of the strongest bonds you'll ever make in this business.
0: And there were some stories that we haven't told on this podcast about Omega that were shared on that panel. And the beauty is, if you're a fan of the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy, make sure you're subscribed because if you weren't able to make it out to the panel, well, you can watch it now on the Title Match Network, or you can wait until Christmas week. You're going to be able to hear it right here on the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy feed, so all of you will get to check that out. Ted Hobgood doing all the Omega introductions was super cool. Caprice Coleman Ice is like best dressed man in the world that dude has unbelievable (laughs) swagger uh jamie was great thomas simpson the sugar daddy of omega (laughs) it was a really special morning i was grateful to be a part of it and we had such a great crowd for it too who came out great. so
1: so so happy about that
0: i mean there was like a seven-year-old who asked you questions about omega which (laughs) it's just that's the legend of the hardy boys in north carolina there i was grateful to be a part of it matt and I look forward to the next time we get to do a live show because my gut says, Matt, it won't be the last live show that you yeah, and I, I, I yeah, my my gut concurs, John. I'm glad to hear that. Uh it was it was awesome. Go check out Wrestlecade next year. I'm sure we'll be there in some capacity as well. Special thank you for to sure. Tracy and Brian once again for all it really was
1: though. The Omega Panel was just great fun. It was such such a good time.
0: Yes. Let's talk about this promo that you had with Ethan Page on AW Dark.
1: You know what? E- even before we get into that, John, I don't want to get out of chronological order here. I just want to mention that uh, Sunday after I left you, I know you were still. Yes, in season yes. Season yes. Year, I just want to mention that I had a match, uh, a one on one match with Crowbar, Devin yes. Stone. Um, and we both have been in the business over three decades, and we've known each other for 26, 27 years. But this was the very first time that we locked up. And uh, I thought we had a hell of a match on the big-time wrestling event in, in the Dorton Arena, which just is an iconic arena. The two arenas I went to as a kid, whenever I could go to shows, like NWA ran constantly in Fedville, the Cumberland County Civic Center, and the Dorton Arena. And I'll never forget going to the Dorton Arena in the summer, and it was hot as hell, man. It was 105 degrees in that building. It was always so hot. But it's so iconic with the the you know the, the sides are glass and their window and open. And it was Ricky Steamboat's last match, and uh, yeah. myself and Crowbar went on a little earlier. But it was a hell of a show and a hell of a card, and I really enjoyed that. First time ever working as Crowbar, and uh, I can't say enough good things about him. If you get a chance, I, go out of your way to try and watch that match as well.
0: I did mean to tee you up on that. My apologies for not. That was such a, a great, great match. It's over available on Fight. I, it was really cool seeing the diamond. He is still really, really fucking good. And and you guys had good chemistry. I know you got a little bit of a shiner from the match. He, I do, he, yeah. Beat you up a little little hard there.
1: He uh, put me through a garbo that was on the apron and two chairs on the floor and I smashed into the concrete, but he smashed my eye whenever I did it. So
0: a little bit of a black eye, but it's all right. Only a flesh wound. Only a flesh wound. It's but a flesh wound. (laughs) FTR was on that show with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat in his last match. I I just want to say this. Dax Harwood faced Speedball Mike Bailey at WrestleCade they had one of the most creative finishes I've ever seen in a wrestling match period. Go out of your way to watch on the title match network. Dax, as we record, this is about to face Brian Danielson. He's really having one of the best years of any tag team wrestler in recent memories there anything you'd like to throw out there about Dax.
1: I mean, you're, I mean, FTR, they're amazing, you know, just on their own as a team, as a unit, but then he's also been killing it in singles matches too. And it's kind of, he's been featured, you know, more than, Cash has, but he has been uh, he's been killing it. He's had been having some awesome matches. And and I do I, I agree and concur. His match with Speedball Mike Baylor was uh, was one to behold at WrestleCade.
0: Yeah, speedball is one of my favorite performers in wrestling. If you haven't checked out his work and impact and on the indies, you need to. He's one of the busiest men in the world right now. So he's excellent. Check him out. Let's talk real quick. Ethan Page, this yeah. promo was unbelievable. You gave me the heads up a few days ago. You're like, I think you're gonna really like this, that what what he and I did. The whole internet was like, man, I need this on Dynamite. And there's nothing wrong, per se, with this stuff being on Dark, because when you're telling stories on Dark, that's good. That draws eyes to it. But I really wish we saw this level of storytelling consistently featured on AWTV, because this was incredible. Is there any insight you'd like to give us on your story with Ethan Page here?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, this this whole story has kind of been, uh, you know, us. A figuring out things as we go along and we've been given a lot of freedom with what we're doing and whatnot. And, and we, we wanted to take a a turn where as opposed to playing mental chess, mental, mental chess meant myself and anything going back and forth. Uh, you know, we wanted to do something that was a little more serious where there's like jeopardy you know, on someone in the, in the angle. Now the jeopardy is going to be on private party. And and as everyone knows, I have a legitimate bond with those guys. I really love those guys like the rink kids, as it is anyway. And and I really feel like they're, they're my legacy in a lot of ways, you know, whatever they become, I'm going to be held responsible for in many ways. So it's very important to me that they do good and they do well. But once Ethan starts saying now, he's going to take out his frustrations on them and punish them. then that's where he kind of crosses the line with me. And we, we kind of uh, move up a gear to the next level.
0: How much fun is private party having right now? I saw them just make their entrance with you on dark even. And I know deep down Isaiah Cassidy is loving every minute he gets to come out to loaded as his, theme. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah.
1: you know, it. you know, he is, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're having a lot of fun and they're really enjoying it. And I am too. And uh, it, it really makes me want to uh, try, try as hard as I can to dial it in and, and be as good as I can possibly be. And like really make, the most out of this uh, you know, three-man team of the Hardy Party and and go as far as we can in the trios division.
0: If you guys haven't checked out this segment from Dark, make sure you do so. It was really spectacular. Ethan Page was absolutely incredible in it. His intensity, he's... And this is why I've always said nothing against Stankley Hathaway or anything like that, but Ethan Page doesn't need a mouthpiece. He's one of the best talkers in wrestling as is. So just my take on that. All right, Matt, let's get to it. Jeff Hardy returns to WWE in 2006. This has been a highly requested topic for us here on The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy, and we're going to hop into it here today. But before we do, as we do every single week, I'm going to need you to hit us with that Matt fact. Matt fact, Matt only eats thin crust pizza. That's a very New York answer of you there, Matt Hardy. Is it a New York answer? Oh yeah, thin crust pizza—that's New York, baby. Uh, Rebecca gets hot about
1: pizza that is thin crust because, and the boys eat it so much better as well. But she's like, "Come on, that's not how you do pizza. You gotta have a real crust. You gotta have like a, you know, like she she likes those uh, New York style deep dish pizzas
0: too." Well, New, things, there's, no such thing as, there's no such thing as New York-style deep-dish pizza. You're talking about Chicago deep-dish-style pizza? No, 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 no. I'm just talking about thicker crust, just like regular crust. That is a very hot take from your Queens-born wife. Very fascinating. Hmm. So, like, Bob's Pizza
1: is a local place which has been around since I've been born. Okay. And uh, it's, it's where we would go after... Uh, uh, after T-Ball or Little League or Midget League, midget league after we'd have games and whatnot uh, with the team, especially, we'd have a win or we did good on that night. And uh, Bob's Pizza is still been a stable. And the boys love going there, too, the Baby Hardy Boys, just because there's some arcade games there. There's an air hockey table and whatnot. There's some things they can play around and do. But but their Thin Crust Pizza is absolutely perfect. It's my favorite in the world. It's in Vast, North Carolina, Bob's Pizza.
0: Okay, shout out to Bob's. <laughs> okay, well, that's... Fascinating. I, again, New York pizza, it's typically referred to as thin crust because it's not thick dough. You don't get any of that. But definitely not deep dish. I don't know. but Maybe rebby has got the whole like Brooklyn pizza with like Spumoni's going on. Maybe that's where her head is. I don't know. No,
1: I don't is. know. Even like when I said deep dish, I just mean thick crust. So okay. that, 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 well, that, may be, that may be me uh, speaking out of terms. Now, just, like she, she likes a, a bigger, deeper, thicker crust.
0: A little T-H-I-C-C, huh? Well, thick. Yeah, yeah. Thick?
1: Gotcha. She's big on T H I C C. Thick.
0: That doesn't surprise me. I had the best time with Rebby this week. Just so you know. <laughs> genuinely had the best time. All right. No more wasting time here. We've spoken so much about stuff outside of this. Let's get into Jeff returning to WWE. So. As we discussed in the V1 episode available in the archives, ExtremeHardy.com, Jeff was released from WWE in April of 2003. He was dealing with some substance abuse issues. He's burnt out. He wanted to try to do some music stuff. What do you remember his headspace being like that around 2003?
1: Uh, I remember being very concerned for him. Uh, Whenever he did leave WWE, he, he definitely was dealing with some issues and he had a lot of stuff going on in his personal life. And, and I I just wanted what was best for him more than anything else. I I wanted to be healthy.
0: He ends up making some appearances for some one-off Omega shows, actually, and even shows in ring of honor where one night he's famously booed out of the building with the crowd chanting, we want Matt. That
1: was a very famous night where he first uh, like debuted Willow there on ROH came out in that. And uh, that match was actually put together by Thomas Simpson, who you just saw there. If I'm not mistaken, it was uh, Jeff. He was doing something with Kirby Mack, which was a, a student of Thomas Simpson back in the day. And, and somehow he finagled a deal to get Jeff to come to the ROH show. But uh, I remember Jeff uh, never wanted to go back to ROH after that. I remember for the longest time he called it Ring of Horror. And he was so, so upset about the reaction he got there.
0: It's... It- so weird in hindsight right knowing how popular and beloved jeff is now that back then everyone was very consciously aware of his struggles and what he was going through and you are on fire with the v1 character everyone's loving it and they're requesting matt hardy to show up in ring of honor that's just crazy was it hard seeing your brother go through that kind of struggle
1: i mean as far as like the the reaction to a wrestling match in front of wrestling fans something that is you know not necessarily genuine that that, that, yeah. that, that, that that wasn't difficult but i mean it just in in the reality of of life you know you want him to be okay and if he's unstable you're obviously worried about your brother and and, and you're worried about what's going to happen to him and and I, I really did try and stay on top of him at that time to like you know get it together and like uh kind of clean up your life a little bit at that point
0: he makes his tna debut June 23rd, 2004, he's facing AJ Styles for the X Division Championship as a surprise. And it's actually the debut of the now famous Charismatic Enigma moniker that he took on. Uh, I remember this. It was a pretty big deal when he showed up there. Jeff was still a big name coming into TNA as they were trying to attract more names. Right. Uh, What was the reception like for his arrival there as far as you saw it from your perspective? And what did you think of him getting an opportunity there? Yeah.
1: Obviously, I think they were very excited to have Jeff uh, because Jeff is a, is a big star and he had a lot of name value at that time. I, I just uh, would imagine they were hoping he was going to keep it between the lines. Uh, and, and I'll tell you this too, John, I actually expedited a lot of him going to TNA. Uh, a lot of my – I had conversations with Jeff Jarrett about having Jeff go there because I thought just him having – some constructive work to do would make sure he kind of stays a little more straight or or continues to clean up his life or like move in the right direction. So I I wanted him busy. I didn't want him just sitting at home with nothing to do. I I feel like that's when a lot of people get worse. I wanted him to have some responsibility, something to do. So I definitely spoke with Jeff Jarrett a lot. And then obviously, you know, with Jeff as well, like I kind of helped set all the things, uh, I set that up his, his his coming to TNA in 2004. Is that when it was? Mm Mm-hmm. Was Jeff Jarrett open at first to bring Jeff in? Yeah, I mean, he, he was right from the jump. I mean, Jeff, Jeff Jarrett's a smart businessman, as we've said, to ad nauseum here on the on the podcast. But, yeah, he, he definitely knew that having Jeff Hardy on your show was going to be very beneficial, beneficial for him.
0: What do you think that TNA run did for him as a performer?
1: I think probably more than anything, that TNA run that he had then in 2004, 2005, 2006, just let him kind of get back to some of the basics of wrestling, which is him kind of creating himself and having a lot of creative control of what he's doing. So he's like having fun a little more. And I I think that's probably, it probably rejuvenated his love of pro wrestling because at WWE, especially Back in the day, it was very easy to get burnt out there very, very quick. And I think Jeff had got burnout with that, and especially with the schedule and whatnot. Now he's working a much lighter schedule. He had a lot more say in what he was doing. He felt like he was being creative once again. So I I think it helped reinvigorate his love of pro wrestling.
0: This is probably not something a lot of people think about on the surface, but it's a big adjustment going into TNA at that time, if for anything, because it's the six-sided ring. And Jeff is a high flyer. I imagine he probably hadn't done too much work with a six-sided ring. Did he ever mention to you anything around that time of having to adjust himself to that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think for most people, it's a little bit of an adjustment. It's so weird. You, you get used to it pretty quickly though, if you really commit yourself. Um, but, but I, I do remember even when we were sort of saying in the beginning with the, the six-sided ring, he was like, man, I just wish they'd have a regular ring. <laughs> I wish they'd just have a four-sided ring. And I'm sure there were a lot of people that thought that, but, Also, I do think, you know, kudos to Jeff Jarrett, that six-sided ring really gave TNA an identity in the early days.
0: Is there a benefit to a six-sided ring versus a four-sided ring?
1: Uh, I mean, it just makes you look different, I think, you know, from from, from a a vision perspective. I mean, it obviously looks different. It kind of sets you apart. You know, if someone sees a six-sided ring, I don't think they're automatically going to go, is that WWF? Is that WWE? It's different, especially here in the United States. Uh, so I, I think that was a beneficial thing about it. As far as like there being, as far as it being a better working ring than a four-sided, four-sided ring, I, I don't, I don't think it is, you know, the, the ropes are harder. It's easy to get uh, a little more confused in which direction you're going with whoever your dance partner is in the ring. So it, it can be tricky, but it was unique because it gave them their own identity.
0: People might not understand or trying to educate here, by the way, guys, people might not understand why the six-sided ring is a little more difficult. There's, more tension on the ropes so they're going to be a little stiffer and how does the angle affect if you're coming off the top or coming off the middle rope because it's not a 90 degree angle you're split much more open
1: yeah i mean that 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 obviously is different so that feels a little different uh so a lot of guys probably get used to doing that but it's also when you're shooting someone into the ropes sometimes it's very confusing because these ropes are much shorter four-sided ring like if you grab someone and start shooting them in a direction of four-sided ring they're you know 99% gonna know which direction they're going in if you're doing that six-sided ring then the percentage drops a lot lower because it is a
0: little more difficult and the
1: ropes are a lot shorter
0: interesting I just thought that was worth talking about knowing what Jeff does in his matches and if he's doing a whisper in the wind and he's got to climb up the turnbuckles really quickly that's probably a lot harder to do in a six-sided ring yeah, I mean I, I I think he I think he was okay on it though, you know. I think he was all right. He's pretty good. So that he's, he's pretty good at wrestling, so Is Eddie would say, better than nothing? <laughs> He'd even be part of a match that I'm sure you wish you had been part of in TNA because <laughs> it's actually Randy Savage's last match. Mm-hmm. It's a sixth man Jeff is teaming with AJ Styles and Macho Man against Jeff Jarrett Scott Hall and Kevin Nash talk about talent in a match. This feels like a fever dream. How jealous were you that you didn't get to compete with Savage, your hero, there, Matt?
1: Yeah, I, I was. I was positively envious that Jeff got that match. And, and also, he just shared a lot of very funny Macho Man Randy Savage stories at, at different times while, while they were working together. When Macho Man was talking about going off the top turn over to the floor, he said, Well, I would do the X hand, but my knees would pop out of my legs, brother. You know, just he had a lot of fun, cute stories with Macho Man. And uh, yeah, I I was jealous Jeff got to do that. I thought that was really cool.
0: Crazy that that's Macho Man's last match in some weird one off thrown together TNA match. But you got the click there. You got Jeff Jarrett. You got AJ Styles. Holy, I mean, legit all of famers across the board in one match. That's pretty impressive. Uh, In 2005, though, things start to go downhill a little bit. He no-shows a few dates with TNA. He claims travel difficulties is the reason and is eventually suspended at year's end. And in June of 2006, after some more no-shows, he would be released. Uh, Were those actual travel difficulties or had he fallen a little bit Uh, headspace-wise?
1: That could have been part of the problem, but also part of the problem was he wasn't where he needed to be in life. You know, he was... He, he was, he was still slipping. He he had done some backsliding and, you know, it was just one of those things all, all during that time, that, that entire run. I mean, there were times where he was really good, but I, I was always concerned and I was always worried about him. And I remember there was one point when he'd missed some of those flights and I was getting, I was getting called a guy who works for WWE from TNA, like, Hey, where's your brother at? Where's your brother at from several people in management or whatever. And you know, then I would try to do what I could, you know, could to locate him and whatnot. I mean, there was a time during that point where I told you I said, dude like, I'll tell you right now, if you'll go to if you'll go to rehab, I'll pay for it. I just I want you to be OK. I want you to be healthy. I want you to be good. Uh, that, that's how concerned I was uh, about him during that time. But uh, in Jeff's defense, once Jeff said like he was done and he was going to quit doing what he was do- doing at that time, he did. He did. And he ended up like uh, half ass quitting cold turkey, which is, is crazy. A lot of guys can't do that. But Jeff, Jeff was able to do that then.
0: And we're talking substances here correct
1: yeah yeah substances uh, and I, a, lot, a lot of recreational stuff too at that time so this was one of the scariest times of you know of, of my life you know as far as being concerned about my brother and his actual health
0: did he take you up on that offer to go to rehab
1: uh he, he, did, not. he did not
0: gotcha so did he eventually go to rehab during this time he did not no so he the first
1: time, the, the first time he ever went was when he was forced to go during Uh, Our last WWE run when he went there, which was
0: for alcohol. So he legitimately just straight up quit cold turkey for the most part. Yes. That's insane.
1: I mean, he even he's like he's an anomaly. I mean, he's a freak of nature in so many
0: different ways. That being one of them. What was the incentive for him to quit cold turkey? What do you think was the catalyst for him to finally say, "Okay, I'm going to get off pills?
1: Um I, I I don't know. Maybe he got bored. Uh, maybe he legitimately just wanted to change. I, I don't know. But he was uh he was he was able to do his thing and like and get it all together and he was like on top of the world whenever he did. I was, I that, astonishing.
0: I asked that because I didn't know if there was some opportunity floated in front of him that was like, Hey man, if you get clean, you'll be able to come back to WWE, or hey man, you get clean, you'll be able to. I didn't know if there was any sort of do you have any recollection of something like that? happening
1: no I I think it was just like he decided he decided to get everything together and he's like okay well I'm gonna you know see what's going on WWE see if we can go back
0: well that's great that's really great and around that time that he was released from TNA rumors started to circulate the internet that he could be WWE bound when do you remember there being a first conversation about him potentially coming back and who was involved
1: uh, I, I think it just started, you know, small talk with myself and Michael Hayes. We would always talk about Jeff and he always, you know, check in on how Jeff was doing and whatnot and how's things going with him. So I would imagine that's where the conversation started. We started talking a little more once Jeff was free and he was good. Uh, I'll never forget. He came to a, a Roanoke SmackDown ECW taping, uh, which I was working on SmackDown at that time and uh, came backstage and met with a lot of the higher ups and, and met with Vince. And we just kind of all sat down to, to see if we could work something out And uh, they ended up doing some testings and measures on Jeff. And he ended up passing with flying colors and everything seemed to be good. And lo and behold, a few weeks later, he ended
0: up resigning. This is a question I've never asked you. But since you just brought it up, Mm -hmm. what was Vince's and Jeff's dynamic like?
1: I, I think Vince liked Jeff a lot. He could tell he was different. He was out there. Um, I mean, mean, Jeff, Jeff, when when people say like charismatic enigma, that is like the perfect description of who he is because he's like this guy who's like overflowing with charisma. And he's also so enigmatic. Like you don't understand why he's doing what he's doing but he's just fucking cool that he's doing it. You know, it's just, he has a very interesting dynamic. And I think Vince saw a lot of his personality shining through and saw how he had like that rock star complex because Jeff, I still think at the end of the day, the end of the day, Jeff's just like in, in his head, he's like the most humble guy you'll ever meet. He's the nicest guy who would give anybody their shirt off his back. But in his head, he's like, fuck man, I'm like a rock star. I'm Jeff Hardy. You know, I I think that is in the back of his mind and he he just acts that way. So that's why he just comes off so cool all the time. And I, I think Vince, picked that up right off the jump and and that, that attracted him to Jeff.
0: They could not be two more different people. And that's why I was curious as to how their interaction were. How did Jeff deal with Vince's intensity? I know you're a very measured guy. And when you'd be in those weird situations with Vince, you figured out how to talk to Vince and how to get him to get on board with something or try to convince him to get on board with something. But as we've discussed ad nauseum, Jeff is one of those guys. Yeah. Just go with the flow. Uh, you tell me what you want me to do and I'll go do it. So how did Jeff deal with that side of Vince?
1: I, I mean, Je- Jeff, as he would say, he, he was not a politicker, you know, he didn't go in, he didn't try and get certain things or different things. He literally just wanted to show up and say like, what do you want me to do boss? And then he would go out and he'd make the most of it. You know, he, he wasn't a big guy that was like, you know, really wanted to be, you know, proactive on his creative and like what he's doing and where his story's going and and what's going to happen, you know, twist and turns as the story plays out. He just, he didn't really do any of that. He just like wanted to show up at work. He wanted to be told what he was going to do. And then he would go out there and kill it. That was kind of like his mentality. You know, he would say over and over, like, I'm just, I'm not a politicker, man. Like he, he would, he would rather die than be a politicker in pro wrestling. He's
0: back in the equation here. You feel like he was totally ready mentally and physically to be thrown back into the grind of WWE at that point?
1: Yeah, he was. He was He was ready.
0: You want to know one of the reasons that he was ready, Matt Hardy?
1: Yes, AG1s. Thank God. I took a time machine back to the past and I put him on AG1s. I got him it- ready for the second WWE run.
0: It was an incredibly kind gesture of you. And what am I talking about with Athletic Green Zone product, AG1? I'm talking about one delicious scoop of AG1, and you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, aging, all those things. Matt Hardy, after that big Thanksgiving dinner that the Bariqua cooked up you you need your ag ones to flush that stuff out don't you
1: you damn right especially when i had a huge match with jeff Jarrett and crowbar coming up on the same weekend and and multiple hour signings on both days before and an omega panel so yeah of course i needed to uh take not just a double dose but a triple dose of ag ones to get through that weekend
0: well the good news is it's lifestyle friendly whether you eat keto paleo vegan dairy free gluten free or if you just Gorge on Thanksgiving, AG1s is for you because it contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, artificial anything while still tasting good, supporting better sleep quality, recovery, mental clarity and alertness. It's also a small micro habit with big time benefits. It's one thing that you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. We know that tons of people take some kind of multivitamin and it's important to choose one with high quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. And we want to help you reclaim your health and arm your immune system. Don't we, Matt Hardy? We do. It's just one scoop of AG1s in your cup of water every single day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D. And how many free travel packs to go with your first purchase, Matt Hardy? have the hands. Five, Cinco,
1: five, Cinco, five free travel packs.
0: All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Hardy. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash Hardy to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. That Thanksgiving meal that Rebby cooked up looked unbelievable. Uh, it really, that the Puerto Rican Thanksgiving, holy moly, man.
1: Uh, it was unparalleled, you know. Uh, it, it, it was incredible, man. I, I, I literally, I sat at the table and I ate for an hour. Of course. It's uh, the big weekend of wrestling matches following Thanksgiving. After I've eaten like a psychopath, uh, but man, it, it was so great. And I really do. I uh, I have grown to enjoy and become fond of Thanksgiving going forward. So we had a great time, and it was so great, so so great to have uh, a lot of family and friends around and and uh, chow down on Thanksgiving dinner.
0: Yes, and your AG ones made you feeling good right after that, and ready for those couple of matches that you had Wrestlecade weekend. So yes, go sir. support. AG1s by Athletic Greens, and we thank them for sponsoring the extreme life of Matt Hardy every single week.
1: And AG1, I also thank you for sponsoring my extreme life as I still continue to wrestle at an older (laughs) age. Very much so
0: It is announced on August 4th that Jeff is returning to WWE. You are post your feud with Edge. You're over on SmackDown now. Were you open to Jeff coming back in and maybe going back to a tag team setup? Because you were so hot coming out of the Edge feud. And after the Edge feud, you kind of without a true direction over on SmackDown. You're just saying, was
1: I happy to go back into a tag team with Jeff? Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. How, how, yeah. how did you, were, were you open to the idea of going back yeah, to a hundred uh, percent
1: at, at any point in my career? Uh, I was always happy to go back into a tag team with Jeff. I mean, at the end of the day, that's when we're both at our best, you know, that's when we maximize everything. And, you know, yeah, yeah, I, I was definitely up for it. And on top of that, I, I want to have my brother back. And it was nice to see him, you know, kind of getting his act together in his personal life. So, yeah, I was very excited to have him back and, and like, make some magic happen again.
0: But how did you feel about your treatment post-Edge feud? It was all right.
1: I mean, I, I expected it. I, I figured because I pulled one over on WWE, I got released. And then I got rehired with a raise uh, and kind of, you know, forced their hand. Uh, I expected at some point I was there was going to be some repercussion. They, they were going to make me pay for it to some degree. Uh, and I, I would imagine that's what that was. You know, After I finished and came over SmackDown, it was just kind of, you know, it was very, uh, very stagnant for a while. Uh, I did some things where I teamed with Tatanka. I teamed with the Road Warrior Animal. He turned on me. We had a little bit of feud. There were some things going on. But anytime Jeff is available and free to be the Hardy Boys once again, I'm always down to do that. So, yeah, I, w- I was very happy to do it.
0: Okay. Any any fond memories from that time before the reunion? Um, the, I mean, I enjoyed SmackDown.
1: It was like I was one of the guys. who was like uh, a workhorse that they put on every single week to work against someone, you know, whatever it was, whether it was win, lose, or draw. But I, I was a guy who was very trusted from a in-ring perspective to, to go out and have a great match on TV every week.
0: So after a few weeks of vignettes... Jeff returning, he confronts WWE Champion Edge and Lita on August 21st. Obviously, a ton of history for all involved there. What kind of statement do you think they made by having him involved immediately with the top act? And you have to keep in mind here when thinking about answering that, this is a guy who Vince once had world title hopes for with Jeff, as he put him in there with The Undertaker in a ladder match. And then the next thing we know, a year later, he's off of WrestleMania. So he's back with the top guys here. What kind of statement do you think that sent? I mean,
1: I I think that speaks volumes about what Vince actually thought about where he was at in his personal life. And uh, he had a lot of high hopes and and faith in Jeff that he was going to finally be like a, a, a top tier guy that was going to. You know, sell tickets on that level that was going to attract people to, to watch his matches on that level. So I, I think it was a great statement. And bringing him back on top, because he's such a beloved figure anyway, I, I think was the, 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 a great way to do it. Put him out there with the Edge. Make it very meaningful and impactful right from the jump.
0: He begins a feud with Johnny Nitro, now John Morrison, or whatever company he's working in. And eventually, Jeff wins the Intercontinental Championship in October. They trade the title a few times over the next month. And he's starting to really get over with the crowd. What was the response internally to Jeff's return?
1: Yeah, They were extremely happy with him. Very happy with him. Over the moon happy with him at that time.
0: It feels like as a consumer, putting him right in an Intercontinental Championship program, it's almost like a, a litmus test. Can this guy handle being back in the spotlight? Can he handle being thrown back in the road and having high-quality matches week in week out? Do you think in your mind, knowing Vince as well as you do, that that may have played into any element of that feud? Uh,
1: I'm sure it could. I'm sure they just want to see how utterly reliable he could be. I mean, it's one thing to come in and be reliable for like a month or two, but, you know, give him a a, a great test, you know, put him in an intercontinental title program, have him switch the title back and forth, see how he holds up, see if if he can sustain all the pressure of being a pro wrestler in WWE, and, and he did, and he ended up passing all those tests with flying colors.
0: In November, it's announced that you and Jeff are going to reunite as a team at Survivor Series 2006, first time in four years. And you're going to get a warm-up match on ECW against the FBI. This is legitimately your first time teaming together in more than four years. You guys get the win, obviously. How emotional was that for you, Matt? And what was the chemistry like on the first night back together?
1: Uh, That that was a cool night. If I'm not mistaken, that was one of the, the live ECW shows. Is that correct? Correct. Uh, I remember they specifically decided they wanted to have a team before survivor series uh, and appear on that ECW programming because they were hoping it would pop a number. I, I remember hearing that, that line specifically. So that is the reason that we end up returning as the Hardy boys on ECW programming. It was live and they were trying to, trying to bump up the numbers of, the the show the show's rating so that's why we appeared on that show i i remember it being a, a really fun special vibe it was very much like a rock star like vibe we got when we came out and the crowd was rocking and rolling and it, it just felt right man anytime i team with jeff it, it just feels right
0: and your build is team extreme because it's ecw so that's yeah. going to be yeah. your moniker was that on purpose at first were you guys going to be rebranded as team extreme going forward
1: I mean, I think they just like it was a play on words because they called us Team Extreme, obviously, back in, you know, 99 and 2000s. Uh, so so I think it fit well, you know, with Extreme Championship Wrestling ECW having Team Extreme in it like we it was, you know, a hand fitting in a glove. We fit perfectly for that for that brand, considering our style.
0: I asked that because for a few weeks you are referred to solely as Team Extreme. That is your moniker. And I, I just found that very interesting. As part yeah, of I mean, season. and
1: and, and I, I know we had conversations at the time about still being called the Hardy Boys just because we were both getting a little older. And I know we ended up ultimately switching into the Hardys, but maybe that was one idea that they had kind of floated out and they just were, you know, putting it out there to see how people react to it. Just calling his team extreme as opposed to the Hardy Boys, you know.
0: So who makes the decision to drop the boys name and just go by the Hardy's?
1: I, I don't know of anyone specifically, but I just know Creative was was sold on it when it was all said and done. And and, and I, I was I was cool with it too. I think Jeff was indifferent. He was with whatever. Call me whatever. Call me Brother Nero, call me Jeff Hardy, call me Charismatic Enigma, call, call me Hardy Boys, call me Hardy's, call me Team Extreme. Eh, whatever. Just tell me what to do out there, man. Um, so yeah, I, I uh I, I would guess maybe that is why they tried the Team Extreme thing because they were they were wanting to tweak the Hardy Boys, and I was in favor of that as well.
0: How did you feel your presentation was different from your first run, if at all? I mean, I felt like they, as I said, they, they put us on
1: that ECW show not to necessarily highlight us on like a big special show. It was like to help the show out and try and pop a number. So I feel like there, that was a lot of the reasons they put us together to try and help maybe in those tight spots. Cause they felt like the Hardy boys would be like a, You know, a for sure draw, you know, that people would tune in to to watch them or whatever. And I feel like a lot of our run was kind of like that. It wasn't about a building process. It was just like, hey, remember, this is like one of the great tag teams of all time who revolutionized the the ladder match and created the TLC matches and whatnot. You know,
0: here they are. Look, they're back on WWE program. Tune in. Did you and Jeff ever consider making any changes to your appearance, your arsenal at all? This is your first time teaming in four years. So maybe reinventing a little bit or. Was it let's go play the greatest hits and get back to where we were? Uh,
1: I, I, we, we did we did innovate some stuff and you switch up some stuff as, as far as like the stuff we were wrestling. We incorporated some new moves into, into things we were doing. Uh, there was a, a time where we did a deal that was a, a new finish that I actually just saw. I, I want to say we used it in that FBI match, if I'm not mistaken, where uh, I put it on my shoulders and handed him to Jeff on the top rope, and I jumped off in a a neckbreaker, and he did a powerbomb off the the second. Uh, That that was something that we used a few times. And we had ideas about, like, obviously freshening it up a lot. But I I think what they wanted from us at the time, more than anything else, was to kind of play the the greatest hits and just, you know, go out and give the people the the legendary Hardy Boys.
0: Yeah. And as we know, we've talked about here, you guys pull off the clean sweep at Survivor Series. And that's pretty fascinating that you're teaming with DX and CM Punk. We know back in the day that the man with three H's was quite the politician. Shawn Michaels sure. as well. Plenty of sway. They could have squashed the idea of Jeff being there right then and there if they truly wanted to. Uh, were they open to him with his return? And how much? Yeah. Of a- I mean, he- they, they,
1: they, 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 were both, they, they were both big fans of Jeff's work, especially Shawn Michaels. I think Sean saw a lot of a young Michael Hickenbottom in, uh, in Jeff, obviously. So, so he, he always liked him. And now that, you know, especially with what Sean has been through with his struggles and whatnot. I mean, I, I think he was very proud to have Jeff back at the time. And I feel like he was very supportive and he, he went pretty hard for Jeff during all that time as well. So I remember the night of that survivor series, they, we're pit throwing our said, Well, we're not sure what we're going to do. We're going to have the DX team win. Like, we might do something. You think we should do something like CM Punk gets eliminated and that's it? Or should one of the Hardy boys get eliminated? Or maybe, like, both the Hardys get eliminated, you know, just so someone gets eliminated. And it ended up uh, Triple H and Sean said, no, we think it's better. Just let all the babyfaces go over strong and do a clean sweep. And then we ended up getting to do that clean sweep. So that, that worked for me.
0: How would the Heels feel about that?
1: Uh, they were fine. They, 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 they were there to, to be heels and, and do their thing. So I, I, I do not remember anyone complaining or being upset about it at all. They were just going to try and make the most of it and make it as entertaining as possible in the story we're going to tell, having a, uh, a, a five-guy sweep on a Survivor Series match.
0: You get your first tag title shot in years by facing rated RKO the next night for the World Tag yeah. Team Championships. You guys win, but it's via DQ, so the titles don't change. A pretty cool opportunity for you there. Rated RKO were a big time act at the time. What do you think of your working chemistry with them? And what do you think of them as a unit?
1: I, I thought they were I thought they really complemented one another very, very well. And they were two both very distinct hills who were very defined as hills, but they were very different from one another. And and I thought they really interacted with each other really well. And and they work in a similar enough style where it's smart and kind of classic and very fundamental. I thought they were a great tag team, you know, especially because they could break something out if they need to do it or whatever, but they were really good at being heels. they were really good at getting heat and they were great to work against as baby faces as a baby face. If you have a a team that the crowd legitimately dislikes, it makes your job so much easier. And it's so much more fun whenever you're out there doing your thing as well. So we always got that whenever we wrestled against Adam and Randy.
0: That was the only time you wrestled them in a two on two situation, which is crazy. I I would, you would think that that would be a match. You'd want to get much more out of, wouldn't you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, it almost seems like there could have been a big Hardy's versus Rated RKO angle at some point. He would have done well and sold a pay per view. Did you did you like
0: Randy as a tag team wrestler? Yeah, I thought they were really
1: good together. I like complemented each
0: other really really well. I, you just don't typically associate Randy as a tag team wrestler. So, see, I think right. that was good to get him out of his comfort zone a little bit and try to get him to do something different. And he, he was excellent. He and he and Edge were a hell of a team together.
1: And, and and together too, like Randy on his own, one of the best wrestlers ever, really, really smart worker. Uh, Adam, one of the best wrestlers ever, really, really smart worker, and that carried over when they were a team together. So it was it was always a pleasure and very enjoyable anytime we had to work with him because they were just such a great act.
0: After a few more ECW hits, you end up feuding with Eminem. Mm-hmm. We're probably gonna take a much deeper dive on eminem johnny nitro joey mercury melena but at glance what did you think of them and their presentation and what'd you make of your chemistry with them uh,
1: we we loved working those guys uh joy mercury he did stuff with us back uh back as joy matthews in the omega days you know, he was one of the Steve Carino's guys that was part of NWA 2000. We had a big interpromotional angle with him. And we, we really bonded back in those days. We worked together a lot. And he was a great worker. He had a brilliant mind for the business. So uh, John Morrison, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet and just crazy athletic, freaky athletic and uh, acrobatic. So we always enjoyed working with those guys. They had a, a good mentality. They had a good attitude. And they always wanted to, like, bust ass uh, and, and steal the show whenever we worked together. So it was always, always enjoyable working Eminem.
0: What'd you think of their red carpet entrance? They had one of the more famous entrances yeah. from that era, with the paparazzi and, of course, Melena doing the big split. That was a, popping a big rating every single week on SmackDown.
1: I mean, it was great. I I, I love the production of it. I, I love the, you know, I, I just love the way it looked. How it was so different. It was something so unique. And Molina was a huge part of that team, who yeah. who really tied the thing together and made it work great. She was very good at what she did.
0: Yeah, the infamous. Armageddon 2006 ladder match sees Brian Kendrick and Paul London retain the WWE tag team championship against you and Jeff Eminem and Dave Taylor and William Regal. This is of course where Joey Mercury takes the ladder to the face, shatters his face. Crazy. Was this one of the more gruesome injuries you've been in the ring with? Right. Probably
1: so. I mean, the the one thing I remember more than anything about this night was just how instantaneous it was. Whenever that ladder hit it, like, he rolled underneath the bottom of the rope, and his face was, like, destroyed when he turned around. I mean, there were, you know, it was swollen, like, instantly. I mean, within eight seconds, it was instantly swollen and just blood everywhere. And it, it totally looked different in eight seconds. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was obviously... Very scary and and you hate that especially for someone that you legitimately like like a lot uh, and 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 we knew he was knew he was in a bad way so we a- also knew there were some spots that were going to be changing in that match because uh we we, we figured he was going to be out of it and he was they ended up carrying him out of there and we had to tweak some things as, as we finished that match
0: can you explain to us what exactly went wrong in that moment?
1: uh yes, he just didn't put up his hands I mean it's, it's one of those things it's a very dangerous spot as it is. Uh, Jeff jumped, but like you have to have your hands up to block that ladder because the, the, the ladder, I mean, if it hits your arms, it's going to bruise it and cut it or whatever, but like it, it's your arms. Uh, his face was down there and it ended up catching him right in the face. So uh, you, you can't go down there and just have a, a, a wide open face you know, with that ladder flying up, especially if it has a lot of velocity and if it's coming up fast.
0: Thankfully, you're in there with a bunch of pros. I mean, you're in there with Dave Taylor and William Regal, who are about as professional as professional wrestlers as you're going to get. They're good at thinking on the fly. You guys are veterans at that point. Paul London and Brian Kendrick are really good. But, I mean, how difficult is that? On the fly to change a ladder match, which, for those who aren't aware, I mean, a ladder match really is put together spot by spot, more more or less, because it has to be. Right. So how difficult was that to change it on the fly on that front? And then you add in the equation, well, one of our coworkers might be really hurt here. That's sure. got to be frustrating in the back of your mind.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, and, and to like, once again, live TV, it's not like, uh, it's not like this, this was taped, you know, if you're doing a live show, I mean, everything has to go on, you know, whether it is planned or not and you just got to make it up as you go along. So it, it was a little challenging because usually when you have, you know, a team in a ladder match, there are spots that the team are going to do together, or they're going to be involved specifically in a spot. And it's just like now that is totally deleted from the entire match because they're gone and not there. So uh, I I don't even remember what we ended up changing it, but I I felt like it it came out pretty good because no one ever really bitched and moaned and complained about it and how there was a big issue with the match. I, I feel like we compensated pretty well considering we lost a guy and then we had to change spots on the fly.
0: Did anyone get any heat for that? No, okay.. Okay. Everyone knew why it
1: happened and how it happened. Yeah, I think so. Why, why, why do you think someone would get heat, John? I'm curious.
0: I just when when wrestlers get hurt, sometimes heat is thrown around. Oh no, it's your fault. you, you didn't time this out. You didn't execute this problem. So I was just curious if anyone actually got heat for that. but if it happened in the way that you said it did, which I think is the general consensus that he just didn't get his hands up it's hard to put heat on anyone except for the person themselves.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things too. I mean, I I get where you're coming from. It's just like, it's one of the dangers of wrestling. I mean, I've been hurt more times than I can remember, you know? So it's at some point you are going to get hurt in there. And this was a really, a really scary injury and, and, and really freakish in so many ways. And it looks so bad, so fast, especially because his face was so swollen and so bleeding. So thank goodness he ended up being okay from it.
0: Well, you're used to taking all the heat anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah, give me the heat. There's and heat Matt out there. Hardy. I'll
0: take. It. That's right, exactly. Matt Hardy, Fat Hardy, the broken stuff is stupid. <laughs> All the heat from Matt Hardy. Big money, Matt. It's boring. It's not entertaining. It's the worst gimmick of the year. <laughs> In the mud, Matt. In the mud. Uh, what do you think of Dave Taylor and William Regal as a tag team?
1: Uh, they were funny. They were very entertaining. I remember like. Regal's like, I'm not going up this ladder. I'm going to be scared to go up this ladder. And they they, <laughs> they took that approach in putting the match together. And there were actually some spots they did where like neither one of them wanted to climb. Or <laughs> Regal refused to climb, which was was very, very entertaining.
0: They're just two legit bad bloods. So that's that's yeah. why I was curious how their dynamic would be in a ladder match. Uh, so once Mercury returns, they take an interesting approach to extending this feud out. Jeff and Johnny Nitro feud for the Intercontinental Championship again on Raw. You and Joey Mercury feud on SmackDown. He's blaming you and Jeff for hurting him. And in between this on house shows, you and Jeff are teaming against Eminem. What was the thought process behind that and splitting you guys up on the separate brands? Um, Boy, this brand split is all over the place. Um, (laughs) uh, No,
1: I mean, it it was it was enjoyable. I liked working with joy too. He was, uh, he was safe and he was fun. He was creative. Uh, so it, it was cool. And it was unique that we were still getting to, to go forward with the story because once again, I think that was an incident that happened where joy got his face smashed up like that. That is like such a big traumatic event that it's, it's hard not to make a story out of that. I feel like it's kind of like just the, uh, the natural progression of working together because you, you don't want to like, make that not mean anything just like we don't wrestle again after that obviously if we can take the approach that you know matt hardy or jeff hardy or whoever like you know took my face and scarred it and and now i'm disfigured and whatnot and i'm gonna come after you and I, I won't revenge and you know but i didn't it wasn't my fault we're in the context of a wrestling match it just happened you know it's 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 a pretty natural story so i'm glad we got to continue it
0: it's always weird for me thinking about joey mercury because when i associate joey mercury i think of him Back in those young days, talk about the Omega time and in this run, WWE had such huge, long mane of hair. And then he shaved it all off. uh, Not too long after this is that, I don't know. I I guess as someone who knew him for so long, weird juxtaposition seeing him now, how he looks versus how he did then. Uh,
1: Not really. I mean, I would imagine he, he was pretty smart. He knew that, you know, he needed to change his look every so often to evolve,
0: you know, I was just asking because it seemed like a quick, easy shave job for him. And you can get an easy shave job with our friends over at Manscaped. Matt Hardy, our proud, proud, proud sponsor of the extreme life of Matt Hardy. Now, listen, I got a question for you. Matt. How do you feel uh-huh. about Christmas music? What are, what are your thoughts on Christmas music? It's a very divisive topic
1: um you know i'm i'm okay with christmas music but i would like to keep it contained to within like five days of christmas though
0: can we get have like
1: a four or five day window you know from christmas on on either side of the christmas holiday you know sometimes people go a little nuts when they start in the beginning of november
0: i totally respect that i'm not a huge christmas music fan but i did hear a new song this year that i'm about ready I'll, i'll perform it for you ready here it goes. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tis the season for clean balls. Ha, la 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 Our friends at Manscaped are helping you clear your driveway for safe travels this holiday season. From stocking stuffers to white elephants, Manscaped's products are at the top of <clears throat> every single Christmas wish list. Grab some crop mops for your pops or the body buffer for the holiday lover. Win this year's white elephant gift gift and help all the men in your life go from eggnog to nice hog this December by going to manscaped.com and using promo code HARDY for 20% off plus free shipping. Manscaped is a one-stop shop for all your holiday needs. They got the perfect gift in the Platinum Package 4.0 plus. Loads of little presents perfect for those stocking stuffers. What better holiday gift than giving the gift of good hygiene and maybe even a few laughs along the way, Matt Hardy. Uh, Manscaped, they offer a handful of liquid formulation, shampoos, body washes, upstairs and downstairs, deodorant gels, exfoliants, absolutely everything that you need to keep things clean down there. And now that you're gifting them with the perfect privates, go beyond the groan with Manscaped's full body product line. Dad's got those nasty nose hairs. Well, guess what, Matt Hardy? I got your favorite right here. This is the Whacker of Weeds. There you have it. I love the whacker of weeds. I know you put put that over on Twitter this past week. They also have the Shears 2.0. It's their full kit for nail care with scissors, clippers, tweezers, and a file for all the traveling men. There's the new Preserve Cologne that brings a light, breezy, woodsy feel like the backwoods of Cameron, North Carolina, and gives that fresh tree scent even after Christmas is over. Did you and Jeff have to chop down your own Christmas tree back in the day, back in the woods? We've done it before, yeah. Okay, I believe that. And there's also the new preserve, or rather the new body buffer. Loofahs actually hold bacteria from dead skin, so you can throw that out with all the disgusting old loofahs and get the body scrubber that feels smoother but acts tougher. and You can get involved with Manscaped now and get 20% off and free shipping with the code hardy at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code hardy, Manscape for a perfect gift that will be the holiday's biggest hit. Could you see some stocking stuffers this year, Matt Hardy, with some Manscaped? But of course, I'm going to stock all the stuffings with Manscaped for when the boys hit puberty. Oh, okay. So we're preparing down the line for them. Yeah, down, down the line. Don't need it whenever they hit puberty, man you're going to hand Maxwell the mower of lawns and you're going to say, buddy, you have no idea what this is right now, but I Uh promise you give it, give it about seven years. You're going to pull this thing back out and you're going to say, Dada, I appreciate that because this is my
1: new best friend. Thank you. Dada. (laughs) Oh my God. I can't even talk seriously about my kids hitting puberty.
0: That's crazy. Isn't that
1: crazy? Insane.
0: Mm, My goodness. Well, we appreciate our friends over at Manscaped. Again, manscaped.com. Use the promo code hardy. Get 20% off and free shipping. What would Broken Matt have to say about receiving his first order from Manscaped, Matt Hardy? The first order we received from Manscaped was absolutely
1: wonderful.
0: That it was. And we thank them for sponsoring the extreme life of Matt Hardy. So, let's get back to you guys teaming again. This time it's at the Royal Rumble 2007. You defeat Eminem, and then you team with Benoit against Eminem, and MVP at No Way Out and a win. Jeff would lose the Intercontinental Championship to a MAGA, and you guys have to compete against one another at WrestleMania and Money in the Bank, and that's where you encourage Jeff to leg drop off a 20-foot ladder onto Edge. What do you think of Jeff? Going back to those spot monkey roots and getting a big moment again for the first time in years here.
1: That's what WrestleMania is, man. Uh, get that, get that WrestleMania moment. And Jeff had been wanting to do a moment, and the idea was to break a ladder for the first time. Is that the first time you remember seeing a ladder broken? No, so. um, I think that was. Yeah. I think that's the first time on record that we that we did it intentionally. That it was meant to happen, and uh, that just ended up the way that we kind of weave the story together. You know, I was down there with edge to make sure he was secure. And then Jeff was up on the ladder. I was like, just do it, do it. You know, and obviously he being my mortal enemy, it made a lot of sense. And Jeff's like, okay, well I'm Jeff Hardy and adrenaline (laughs) junkie. Of course I'm going to do it. It's going to be a WrestleMania moment that will live in infamy.
0: It's just a lot of weird booking to me. It doesn't seem like there's really a concrete plan for the Hardys. You guys are one of the most over tag teams of all time. And you're teaming, then you're singles act, then you're teaming again, then you're facing each other at WrestleMania. It's a lot of start, stop, start, stop. And I get the idea, and I know this is going to be a response when I tee you up on this, that, oh, they're the Hardys, they're over. They can come together whenever they want. They can go do their singles act whenever they want. But right. how do you establish any momentum when there's so much start, stop like that? Um, it, I mean, it's tricky.
1: And and we, we were all over the place during that time. And we were doing all the shows at this time too. Uh, we were doing like the Friday house show, the Saturday house show, the Sunday house show. And then we were going to both TVs almost every single week. Like we were we were on the road, what, killing it, working hard during this time, which was, I guess, uh, a, a great, show that they really had a lot of confidence and faith in us as like a, a, a popular act or someone who were, who were going to sell tickets or who was going to draw viewers. Um, but also, too, it was kind of all over the place. And and I, I don't disagree with you with that. We didn't have like a good, solid, definitive direction, like we're going to start at A and end up at, at Z. We we weren't really
0: doing that. We were just kind of all over the map. How was Jeff handling being back on the road here five, six, seven months in? Um, He, he was doing okay at this time, yeah. He was good. It, it, I felt
1: like he was overworked a little bit. There were times probably where he felt like he was getting stressed, but he was still he
0: was still holding it together this time. The start-stop stuff and the lack of direction is only further emphasized the night after WrestleMania. When you win the world tag titles in a battle royal from John Cena and Shawn Michaels, you guys eliminate Lance Cade and Trevor Murdoch to win. And bringing this all together, here's what I don't get. The Hardys winning the gold for the first time in more than five years should be a really big deal. (laughs) This this easily could have been a WrestleMania feud, leading up to you guys winning the championship again. Big moment for either of the titles. It's harder with the world titles because John Cena and Shawn Michaels were the champs, and they also made a vented WrestleMania, so it might have been a harder path there. But instead, your win of the tag team championships, first time in five years, your champs together, it comes in the form of a battle royal on a raw. I know you're probably not thinking about that at the time, but in hindsight, I, I need you to try and make sense of this for me here, Matt. Uh, I, th- I think basically WWE and
1: Vince, they had booked themselves into a corner. They had the mm-hmm. tag team titles on John Cena and Shawn Michaels, and they needed to get them off of John Cena and Shawn Michaels. And they ended up doing a battle royal because that's a way they could lose the titles technically. And in Vince's mind, it didn't hurt them or affect them at all. Uh, and then the Hardy Boys was a tag team that could pick up the titles and, and run with the ball following a very popular act of the odd team of John Cena and uh, Shawn Michaels.
0: Doesn't that feel like such a missed opportunity though, especially you're doing it the night after WrestleMania, you could have had the Hardy boys winning these world titles, whether it was those ones or the other set at WrestleMania and culminating that. No, I mean, that, that would have been great, but I'm, I'm sure just following WrestleMania
1: the next day that became that, that just happened. Like, Hey, we got to get these tag titles off, uh, Cena in HBK. So who can, who can we put them on? How can we do it? You know, and and they didn't want either one of those guys to get beat or pinned by anyone. I'm sure that's the motivation for doing that battle royal at that time. And uh, we were the team that was just chosen to to take the titles and run with them for a little bit.
0: And what's even more frustrating about it is neither of the tag team titles are defended at that WrestleMania. So there, uh, just- right? That was the Trump versus. I mean, it,
1: and- w- once again, that that that's just that's. Uh, a great gauge to show you how much importance Vince sees in the tag titles. You know, he knew like the tag team matches we were doing with the, the TLC concept and, you know, myself and Jeff versus Edge, Christian, the Dudleys, he knew it was really good and people loved it and they wanted to see it. But at the end of the day, Vince was always thinking about his top singles champion and that that's who he saw as being the guys who draw the most money and sell the most tickets. And that's what he's always focused on. He always made that his priority.
0: That WrestleMania wasn't the top guys that were drawing the tickets there. It was Vince McMahon versus Donald Trump. And that's just its one of the highest grossing matches in wrestling history. What a, what a world, huh? In hindsight, what a world. Pretty wild. Well. Billionaire yeah. versus billionaire there. It was, uh... Yeah. Do you remember any stories of Vince getting his head shaved? Uh,
1: I mean, Vince was totally committed. He's like, yes, fuck, shave it on the ring. I mean, Vince would always say that, like, and you'd hear that expression about Vince all the time. Like, he he never asked a talent to do something that he wouldn't do. And, and I think he really tried to make an example of that if it came to, like, I'm having this hair versus hair match, you know, or this deal with Donald Trump. Like, if you're going to shave my head, you're going to shave it all the way, damn it. We're going all the way bald. I'm fully committing, you know. So he was he was big on setting an example as far as, like, doing something that may be embarrassing or something that... Uh, you have to step out of your comfort zone to do. He would be the first one to volunteer to do it.
0: Did you have any Donald yeah. Trump interactions in that? Uh, I,
1: I I I do remember when we came back after uh, the Money in the Bank match. He said, "Oh my God, how can you guys walk after you jump off that ladder?" Jeez, I, I I do remember a comment about that. It was just he was very shocked that we were jumping off ladders and landing on one another and hitting each other with land uh, with ladders. He was uh, amazed by that. <laughs>
0: Why just what a I feel like I've used the term fever dream like five times this episode, but truly <laughs> dream, uh, in, in all purposes, there. So. I mean, it's,
1: especially looking back at it right now, yeah, of course, it's surreal. very, very surreal that that happened. Then. Surreal.
0: So the win kicks off a lengthy feud with Cade and Murdoch, where you retain the titles at Backlash and Judgment Day. We'll, we'll definitely dive into Cade and Murdoch as a tag team. Uh, But how'd you feel about your work with them? Uh, Lance Cage is someone we lost way too young in this industry. And I felt it could have been, could have been something in wrestling too.
1: Yeah. He was extremely talented. Um, I'll never forget too. He was very like bashful, almost introverted. And he started opening up a whole lot while we were working together, especially in the ring, you know, from his character, his persona, especially out there felt like he got a lot more comfortable. And I also felt like, they kind of just asked myself and Jeff to like do all we can to try and make them as a team. I think that's they were good. I, I like that. that was a big part of this run was yeah, and, and and they were good and they were good and there was a lot of potential behind them. Uh, Lance Cade was it unbelievably strong. He was like one of those person that has that just that crazy strength, like a Cesaro. You know what I mean? Uh, I remember that that stood out a lot about Lance. He was just freakishly strong.
0: And Trevor Murdoch is still going at it today over in NWA. So yeah, uh, he's reinvented himself to a degree too uh, a small hidden gem of a match in this run one night stand 2007 we're definitely going to cover this in long form too at some point right now uh, you guys get to work a ladder match against the world's greatest tag team shawn benjamin charlie haas i think there's a pretty underrated match in your guys career uh any memories from that night uh yeah i, I do remember they kind of sprung that
1: on us last minute you know within the last Couple of weeks or whatever before it happened. It wasn't something that had any kind of long term planning. I think more than anything else, it was kind of hot shotted because they were trying to drive buys for that for that pay per view, and that's why we ended up in that ladder match with the World's Greatest Tag Team. Uh, I, I do remember being happy with the match. I don't remember the match well. Like I can't tell you like my favorite spots in it. I, I know I had someone that sent me a video, had made a video with clips of it, and I hit you know X amount of years ago today. Says the net you know, for that video. So I'll, I'll watched a little bit of it. That was like a year or two ago. So I, I did enjoy the match, and I almost wish we would have got more of a run with the world's greatest tag team. I think we could have had a, a, a good little rivalry together.
0: That was their second run together when they were kind of trying to figure out and Benjamin Charlie Haas again. Right. Sheldon is legitimately one of the best athletes ever in wrestling history, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I, I was blown away every single time. I saw him at time. a freakish freakish athlete. Why do you think he never had a main event run? Uh,
1: I I don't know. I I, I think if you had Shelton Benjamin, a young Shelton Benjamin come along today, it it would change a lot. I think because back then it was still they were looking for larger than life personalities, people that really like uh, bonded with the crowd. And, and and I feel like they didn't see that as much in Shelton as they would have liked to. They knew from an athletic perspective, he was just unbelievable. He was unreal. you know. But I feel like in this day and age, if you have someone who's an amazing athlete and produces these great quality matches day in and day out and does it every single time they hit the ring, then they, they get over in a different way because the the fan base is kind of changed for their respect for yeah. the in-ring content as well. So I think if Shelton came along today, I think it would be changed. I think he would definitely be programmed a lot higher than he was back then.
0: Sean Benjamin was 10 years too early. Yeah. And that was unfortunately his problem because he is outstanding. And I still enjoy watching Sean Benjamin. He's still at it yeah. and he's still really yeah. good too. He's still really good. I I love the Hurt Business. I thought it was a great presentation. Yeah, it was great. And Sheldon on top of that too, just Sheldon's a good guy. Very funny guy. Good dude. Well, this is a very physical and intense ladder match. It's pretty brutal. And the next night, after some selling, you guys dropped the titles to Kane and Murdoch. And after a loss to them at Vengeance, this effectively ends your run together with Jeff. Who made the call to put a stop on things?
1: I, I, once again, I I don't believe whenever they put the title on us, they didn't plan on being like a long-term thing because they knew like we didn't need the titles. And, you know, the the titles weren't necessarily going to help the Hardys in terms of popularity because we were already who we are. So I'm pretty sure at this point we did that title run, you know, following the HBK John Cena, I Partners thing uh, and had a, another little run with it, which established just once again as you know one of the greatest tag teams ever. After you know, holding it when we returned back to WWE, you know, almost 10 years down the road or whatever, you know, eight, nine years down the road. And then they 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 went to draw us both in singles, singles capacities. That was that was the plan going forward, and uh, and we were both cool with that too. We were happy we got to reunite. We were happy we got to win the, the tag team titles again. We thought that was very important, you know, just for our team. And and, and once again, our return, we should prove that we're still great together. And uh, we were both excited to, to try our luck at our
0: singles runs as well. One thing I'm curious about, and this could just be totally my brain going, and it may be nothing at all. The next night after Vengeance is the night that the Benoit family is found dead it's obviously one of the most shocking days in history of wrestling. And it was supposed to be a significant episode of raw because that's when they were going to do the Vince McMahon funeral after he was blown right. up in the limo. Right. Do you know if you were supposed to kick off another program as a tag team and plans just all got halted and thrown out the window after the Ben was Cause a lot of things ended up shifting and changing that night.
1: It, it may have, I, I don't even know what was the, the original lineup that day, but I do know the original lineup was scrapped and then they, you know, they stayed, they went back to the drawing board and started from scratch yeah. and decided to make it a, you know, a Benoit celebratory show, uh, celebrating the life of him after they heard the news. Uh, I, I remember how eerie it was that day. Like, so he'd been gone the whole weekend, right? You know, and people he, were he like, the
0: he was supposed to be on the pay-per-view and he missed the pay-per-view.
1: Yeah. Uh, and even on the house shows, like I substituted. Uh, And took his place in one of the main event matchup, a tag matchups that happened on one of the house shows earlier that weekend. So it was very strange because Chris was not one to be late. You know, as I've told you stories about like how Chris and Eddie, they would literally stay by the gym, you know, Uh, they, they would Pick, get a hotel that was closest to the the nearest Gold's Gym, and they would say there so they could go and work first thing in the morning. I mean, they were very timely and very punctual. So Chris never missed shows, he never missed shots, and people always heard back from him and whatnot. So it was very strange. The whole the whole the whole weekend it had been very very strange, and I'll never forget that day where they called a talent meeting of all the talent. They wanted everybody to get together, and keep in mind we've been walking around all day long. There's all these, there's caskets in several different places. Different shots are going to do about Vince. There's all these wreaths everywhere. There's flowers everywhere, just like, you know, it, like it really is a, a funeral home. There were so many weird, eerie vibes, you know, floating around that day as we're going to be, you know, doing the show that followed Vince's explosion, you know, and supposed oh. death of the boss. Um, they had this talent meeting. They call everyone together. And I'll never forget, I saw Taker coming out slowly walking out to where all the crowd was kind of gathered around. And I saw Michelle McCool, like crying. And I, I remember turned to, to King Kennedy and go, Oh my God, Chris is dead. Cause I just know I, I you know, I, I saw Undertaker and Michelle coming and I just knew Undertaker would have been given the heads up. And then when she was like, so upset, it's like, Oh my God, he's, he's gotta be dead. He's gotta be dead. And then I remember they came out and proceeded to tell us not only Chris been found dead, but his family had as well. And that they were going to change the whole show that night and they're going to go a different direction. and You know, remember Crispin, uh, remember Crispin, why that night? So it was a super eerie day. And even having to walk around all day, seeing all that funeral stuff, it was such a weird, creepy day, man. Corpus Christie, Texas. I'll, I'll never forget it. I mean, I just, I remember it like it was yesterday and how shocking that news was.
0: Out of respect to the victims, families, and Benoit's family I don't believe this is something we're ever going to talk about again we're never going to do a Chris Benoit episode I know we've been asked to we're never going to do anything like that Chris will show up in stories that we talk about as we have in the past here on this podcast but I guess since we're talking about it this should probably use this This as the only time we ever really talk about this uh, that that night of the show itself um you said how eerie it was. Do you remember who delivered the news to you guys? And they, they went about doing testimonials. Were, were you asked to do a testimonial? How did that all go?
1: Um, Vince, Vince and family, Vince and the, the top office came out and they broke the news to us. They uh, you know told everyone about it and you know what what their intention was to do for the show. Uh, yeah, I, I was asked to do a testimonial. But I I said, uh, I'm okay. And I declined to do it because as the day was going on, as you know, more info started coming out and, you know, they weren't really sure about how his family died. And there were just some guys who were suspicious that, you know, this, it could be foul play, you know? So like I I was one of those guys who declined to speak just, just to be safe. I mean, it was a very sad day, obviously extremely sad. And just remarkably eerie in every way possible because of what, we were there to do that day with the, the Vince storyline explosion angle, you know, and then to have that real life scenario set in on you like that—it was so crazy, man. Uh, so yeah, there, there were guys who who did do testimonies, and and it is what it is. I mean, that was meant to celebrate Chris Benoit's, you know, wrestling career in his life. It's just very sad and unfortunate how how it all all ended with him. And uh, I don't know—it's it's inexplicable to even try and explain why that happened or how that happened or could ever happen. And it's just, at the end of the day, it's just heartbreaking and just sad.
0: I know Jeff is a very empathetic guy. He's very emotional guy. You've described that in the past here, right? When when something like that happens, does that hit him hard? Yeah. I mean, I I think he hit
1: everyone hard. I mean, everyone was, you know, floored because it just came out of left field. No one was expecting that. You know, you see Chris Benoit on the whole day, and not only is Crispin Benoit dead, but his family is is passed away as well. Yeah. You know, that's like that's mind blowing. That's numbing. So yeah, I mean it just it, it strongly affected everyone and, and it was even worse once
0: we, you know, found out what truly happened when it was all said and done. Yeah. Yeah. I just had wondered if you guys had plans to do more stuff, and then after all the Benoit stuff happened, if things shifted a little bit and Maybe they, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. Who's to say? Because, uh, you know, not looking at it this way, but when you take Benoit off the roster, too, you're losing a big-time star. So maybe that means that, hey, let's split the Hardy Boys back up, get some singles draw, too. Again, not minimizing tragedy in any way. I'm just logistically thinking here. Um, it's fascinating how plans may have changed because of an event like that that had nothing to do with you guys, too. So Right. Uh, Yeah, just and
1: and I I guess in theory that that is possible, but I do know as we were teaming, they were very anxious. Vince was anxious specifically to get us back out into singles roles because he thought we could both carry the weight of being single superstars at the time.
0: Yeah, and and I asked too because you just said you filled in for Chris at the show. So there's clearly some sort of correlation there in terms of where you were on the card versus where Chris was on the card and putting you in that spot. Uh, Certainly sounds like it makes sense to me is is there anything else you would like to add on that front because as i said i don't anticipate we'll ever revisit this
1: um that, that was just a very tough day it was a very tough day at work you know learning learning that information about someone that you worked with very closely hand in hand that you'd spent time with that you'd made card rides with that you'd spent in hotel rooms with uh to learn that was heavy man and uh, it, it's the first time I can ever say I've been involved in some sort of criminal traumatic event like that, that, that I've known someone that close that personally, you yeah, know. Yeah. So That's it was uh, it was uh, just it was a heartbreaking day all the way around.
0: Well, it is yeah. the end of your run as a tag team here. Uh, in hindsight, what do you think of this reunion that you had with Jeff? It, it doesn't even last a full year, but you guys are super over. You said to me about a month ago you felt like this was – some of the most over you guys ever were as a tag team.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We, we were, we were extremely hot at this time and it was nice and it was fun. We were both, you know, both on top of the world and we were both enjoying our run together. And, and I'm happy we got that tag team title run, even if it wasn't long, I'm happy that we got to come back, reteam with one another and reestablish ourselves as, you know, the, the best team in the division or the WWE or the world or whatever, by carrying the, uh, the WWE tag team titles for a bit.
0: Ready to answer some Ask Matt questions as we wrap things up here? Sure thing. Let's do it. Uh, Wrestling Study Podcast says, when Joey Mercury broke his face or nose at Armageddon, what was Vince's reaction to that backstage?
1: Um, pretty much business as usual. You know, just take take care of him. Get him fixed. You know, Vince Vince doesn't sell shit, man. <laughs> you know, that was like a, a staple of Vince's character. Like, whatever happens, whether it's to him or someone else, he, you know, usually tries to minimize however much he's going to sell anything. But uh, I think it was just like, make sure he's taken care of, do whatever they need to do, get him to the hospital, take care of him, get him better.
0: Danielle Wolf, Danielle asked, what were your emotions when you found out Jeff was definitely coming back?
1: Excited. Uh, yeah, I, I, I felt like everything was right in the world again. Once again, that we're going to be teaming again. You know, he had gotten into a real good place in his life, and uh, I was just happy to have my brother back and my uh, tag team partner back.
0: Tony Crouton Bomb asks, it's been stated by Bruce Pritchard and Jim Ross, there were talks for Jeff to return around WrestleMania 20 in 2004 to be on SmackDown and in the Cruiserweight division. Were you privy to those plans? And if so, what caused them to fall through? Have you ever heard that before?
1: I, I was not privy to those plans. And uh, I, I, I've never heard that. So I can't say that that is something that was going to happen. And I've never heard Jeff talk about that. So I don't know. Maybe that was something that was discussed in the office or whatever. But I, I'm not aware of that at all.
0: So we do not know if that is mad fact or mad fiction. Correct. Interesting. The world will never know. Uh, Let's continue here. Uh, Let's get one from Witty Games. How did Jeff feel about working with Edge upon coming back? Was there any bad blood at that point or had that all dissipated?
1: Uh, No, everything anticipated. Uh, There was no bad blood. It was all water in the bridge. And he was excited. He was excited to to get the opportunity to come back and work with Adam right from the jump. Someone he had great chemistry with and obviously had a great history with. So, yeah, everything was good.
0: Uh, Lance asked, what was Jeff's overall thoughts on his TNA run? Was he bummed about not getting the NWA title?
1: Uh, No, I mean, I don't even think Jeff thinks in those terms as far as like uh, I have to win the title or not. I just I, I think Jeff's. Uh, Jeff Jeff thinks in terms of like, you know, was my match good? Did I do something to entertain the people? You know, were there oohs and ahs? You know, did I I bring them to their feet? I I think that's kind of what Jeff's top concerns were. As far as never winning the title, no, I don't don't think he was concerned about that at all. He just, he wanted to go out and like put on a good product and and make money.
0: The last question comes from Valerie. Do you have any fun stories about Caden Murdoch?
1: We didn't spend a lot of time with those guys. I really enjoyed the time we interacted with them while we were working together and having a rivalry. And, and once again, uh, one thing I can't say about Lance cade he was just such a soft-spoken, almost like introverted, uh, re- really quiet guy. And uh, it, it's so funny how whenever he would step into the ring and, and break out, he changed so much and he would really evolve and grow. And, and he was really becoming a hell of a performer when we were working with him too. And, and also feel like he felt quite confident in his, abilities as a as a character as well during that time so yeah i I liked him a lot and it really is sad that we lost him so early on because we lost him way way too early
0: well matt this was a really fun podcast i liked getting to dive into this run with you i've never really talked to you about this off air even this period of time that you had with jeff in 2006. I'm glad that you got it. It set you up for your feud with MVP eventually and all that good stuff. And Uh as we know it would set Jeff up on a meteoric rise where he would eventually become WWE champion not long after this. And in two weeks here on the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy, we will be discussing Jeff winning the WWE championship for the first time. So uh, we'll probably do a watch along of that match, too. I'm excited for your perspective on your brother climbing the mountain and winning the big one. And next week, we're going to do one of your favorites, Ask Matt Anything, the final one of 2022, where the fans, Outstanding. Can, fans can pick your brain and ask whatever they'd like to. The week after the Jeff episode, we will do the Omega reunion panel that everyone will get to listen to if they did not get a chance to yet. And then we are going to wrap up 2022, our first year in existence, is the Extreme Life of Matt Yay. Buddy, Yay. with. Good uh, Pretty cool year in review, and we're going to call it the Hardy Awards, where you're going to give out your your best of the best of 2022 in wrestling.
1: Okay, so- I'm down with that, man. I'm excited for the holiday season here at the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy.
0: And you get your manscaped, get your eggnog, get whatever you got going on. It's going to be a good holiday season. And it's even even better holiday season for those who get a gift from the extreme life of Matt Hardy. All you got to do, two things. Number one, if we were in your Spotify top five, your Apple top five, Google podcast top five, whatever it may be, send us a screenshot, a DM at Matt Hardy pod. And you'll be entered to win a free video from Matt and I, which is super great. And you can also leave us that 5 cinco, 5 cinco, 5 star it's review. <laughs> and that will get you entered to win a free T-shirt at something. And yep. uh, we got a great review here from BMW 111102. And it's titled, great. That's M-A-T-T-H-A-R-D-Y to you, Jeff Jarrett. He said, <laughs> well, heck didn't want to be censored this podcast is just outstanding listening to matt and john for an hour or two every week is just absolutely wonderful i can't wait to follow it ps jbl reference every single episode please i don't know if you guys missed one yet on a serious well, note hell. on a serious note i just want to compliment matt on what he has already felt Uh, A definition of an absolute professional, how he handles things really makes you think about your actions. Never viewed the Jeff Jarrett thing from Matt's family perspective. It's just something you don't usually think about the wrestler's family because you don't see them. I'm sure to a degree Matt is trying to promote and sell the match against Jarrett. And I realize that, but they got real reasons to dislike each other. And Matt continues to show why we need to adapt and overcome. Love this show. Keep it up, please. That is a hell of a review, isn't it? That's a great review. Gosh, thank you so much, man. God, yeah, that was a great review. Thank you. So thank you for that support again, guys. You can get your review read on the show. Just leave that five cinco, five cinco five star review for us. Oh boy, we went a little long today, but this was a great episode. I really enjoyed this. I had a great time with you this past weekend. Anything else you'd like to add, Matt? Uh,
1: no, man. I had a great uh, time with you this weekend as well. Thank you to everyone who came out to WrestleCade and supporting Russell Cade. It's a great yearly thing that happens on Thanksgiving weekend every year in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And uh, to all the fans that came out to the Dorton Arena for big-time wrestling when I wrestled Crowbar. Uh, I matched 30 years in the making. Thank you guys for being there. You were lively and, and electric all night. Thank you.
0: And there were no whores allowed. There's and never no- whores allowed at the Hardy household. House
1: Hardy, no whores allowed zone.
0: No whores allowed here on the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. The words have been spoken. We'll see you next week, right here on the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. But I feel strongly that saving money is important. You know, if it's not something we worry about now, boy, we are really going to worry about it later. And I want to help you get out of debt faster and do it with cheaper monthly payments. I'm talking to you if you're in a 30-year loan. Now is the time to take years off of your loan. We're routinely helping our listeners cut 5, 10, even 15 years off their loan. And you can do this without perfect credit with no money out of pocket. You've just got to start at SaveWithConrad.com.